Could you be um, turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10, please? I just want to add my um, personal uh, welcome and thanks to so many for traveling so far. I know it takes big money and energy uh, to get away. And please thank your eldership teams. We don't take this gathering for granted at all. Um, I've got, uh, of, the, of the nine times that we're in this room together, um, some of them are longer, some of them are shorter sessions, but of the nine times, um, I've got the, the privilege of speaking three times, um, and my first two are on the sending of the 72, which um, is, is a passage that only Luke writes about, um, missional Luke, I'll, I'll come to that in, in just a second, but I feel that um, these days, um, the group of us that is guiding our movement, we feel that these days, we're calling it a gathering, but it's actually ascending. And the, this extraordinary chapter of our Lord talking to almost exactly half a group, exactly half the size of the group in this room. Um, is going to be extremely poignant and helpful to us. So I'm going to take two sessions uh, in this chapter. Let's, let's pray. Father, these words of your son that I know you heard as, as he was speaking them and you caused through the Holy Spirit, you caused Luke to hear about and then record. We're so grateful for this mighty chapter and I pray that you would do every one of us much good. I pray this message would resonate within us and in our churches and future churches still to be planted. Would you do that? Would you give us ears to hear? We do ask for that, Lord. I do pray that you'd help me um, as I open this passage up in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we got Luke. Um, he's the only of, with the one of the gospel writers who talks about this sending um, of the 72 and their mission and, and their return. And um, he also wrote the book of Acts. And you'll remember that he he was at great pains to start off Acts chapter 1 with the command of Jesus saying, take the gospel beyond just your Jerusalem, to Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And uh, we, we're calling this advanced global uh, gathering, and we don't feel we're getting ahead of ourselves. The, 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 the deal is, it's not about us and us getting ahead of ourselves or thinking that we're presumptuous or... Um, uh, illusions of grandeur, the deal is we follow Jesus. And the deal is we listen to the words of Jesus. And when Jesus says, be my representatives to Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, we know that is not just a one-off deal for their generation. Every generation needs to be freshly evangelized. So part of us saying, God, might we advance into the globe? It is aspirational because we want to get further and do more. Um, but part of it is we're so grateful that, that through strengthening our American and Canadian brothers and sisters, just through the little burst of prayer we had, we get something of an inheritance. We get to play something of a role in those nations. And by gathering together, the economy and synergy of, of cultures, helping cultures, just even in these days, we can make a meaningful, uh, we can make some meaningful progress in helping the gospel moved well beyond our Jerusalem. So he wrote Acts. He wrote the sending of the 72. Maybe he was the most mission-minded um, of all the apostles. And he, he's a man who we can learn a lot from as we gather here for this sending. So let's um, read chapter 10, uh, verse 1 together. After this, the Lord appointed 72. When, when Luke says after this, he's just wanting us to log what's just happened. And if you back up a few verses, you'll remember that Jesus is walking along with at least, probably at least 12, maybe some more of the 72, just in the preceding five or six verses. He's walking along and three different conversations happen. Remember, they didn't drive, they walked. And as he walks, three guys tuck in with him, separate people. We don't know their names. We don't know the outcome of their conversations. But one implied, it's implied that he says, I'll follow you. And Jesus, knowing what's in his heart, says, listen, I just want you to be aware of what you're signing up, up for. Foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But if you follow me, 
you're not going to always lay your head on a soft pillow. And you're going to sometimes feel homeless and that you don't quite know where you fit. And the 12, maybe the 72, heard that. Then the next guy says, I'm with you. I just need to bury my father, a funeral, do a funeral. And the next one says, uh, what does he say? Just forgotten. I've got to go and say goodbye. So you've got these three conversations that, that it seems like were very important to pave the way for what's going to come in, in chapter 10. And if you're a disciple listening to these three conversations, the first one you think, wow. The second one you think, and the third one you think, my goodness. And maybe you peel off as a disciple and just sit under the tree and say, Jesus, guys, I'll catch you up. And you just, you just say, well, I've just heard the God-man, Jesus Christ, not say an immediate yes to three people who are saying we're in. In fact, he's, he kind of scares them off a bit. And, and, and I see here one was interested in a project, a funeral. Uh, other were in, another was interested in a, in a person, people saying goodbye. And the other one was maybe overly attached to a place, which is why Jesus said, listen, foxes have holes, etc., etc." So just at the start, before we even tune in to Jesus talking to us about, freshly talking to us about being sent ones, just check, is there a place that you're overly attached to? Because if you listen to chapter 10 without the after this, it'll, it'll either sound like this, which isn't tongues, it's just gobbledygook. Or, or the words of Jesus come, but they'll be like seed that, that bounces. Because the things he's going to say to the 72 make no sense, will gain no traction in us if we're overly attached to a project. Might be a good one, but it mustn't be the ultimate one. A place or a person or people. So is there any person, place or project that if God said, no, I want you to leave that behind, you'd say actually not. That would be something to bring before God uh, just right now. And then another grid you can look at these three encounters in is one's talking past, present, and future. One's Jesus says there's going to be issues in the future. You're not going to have a hole or a nest. Uh, another one is in, in the past. He wants to do something with a dead relative. And the other one is in the present. Is, is people right in his life now that he... Um, he wants to deal. And Jesus says, no, if, 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 you're, if you're following me, you're all in. So is there a project, a place, or a person? Is there something in your past, present, or a fear of the future that you just need to bring before God now? Let's just take a moment to do that. Let's do that after this, and then we'll get to. Spirit of God, would you just help us now? We, uh, we do, we do want to just read the Bible in context and... And the hearers of chapter 10 had had a remarkable time on the road with you. Just with you through these conversations. Saying, just preparing the way and saying, listen, it's all in. I need to be Lord of everything. And we do just want to be like that, Lord, as we go into the, to these days of sending. just want to say there's nothing higher than you in our lives. If there is, just lay it down. It might be an act of faith to lay it down because your emotion isn't there yet. Is there a place or a person or a project you're involved with that it's like, no, Lord, if you said stop doing that, I don't think I could. Bring that before God. Smash it at the foot of the cross. Just leave it there. Okay. So after this, so <laughs> they're really saying, Lord, you're everything. And then Jesus starts to talk to them. It says, he appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Sometimes it feels like God's gone ahead of us. Uh, doors fly open. The, the ground is already plowed up and the harvest is already coming through and you just put the sickle in. It's like God's gone ahead of us. It was often like this in the Bible. Twice we read about King David, um, this being the case, 2 Samuel 5. The Lord has gone out before you to strike down the Philistines. 
God said to David uh, via Nathan, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. God's gone ahead. Excellent. Other times, Jesus sends us on ahead of him. Now, he's still equally with us, but the dynamic is different. The, the hinges on the doors are stiffer. The ground is as yet unplowed and there's no harvest coming through because seed hasn't even been sown yet. And I know some of us are in that situation. It feels like we've been sent on ahead and we can even doubt if, if Jesus is with us. <laughs> I know it's like that. We, I think of Andrew and C uh, leaning hard on that stiff hinge of the door of Waterloo in London or Ben and Lois who are carving it out. They're hoeing away in the Rhonda Valley in Wales, and they haven't yet seen an adult convert. Some of us are still waiting for our first convert. Our first elder. Uh, We're still waiting for the first month when the the income exceeds expenditure. And you just say, God, I know that you're with me, but but I wish you'd gone ahead of me. And, And he is with you, but he's sent you on ahead. The season that you're in is this season. It's the season of prepare ye the way of the Lord. It's a season of patiently waiting for God. He will hear your cry and he will set your feet on a rock and he will put a new song in your mouth. It's a, wait, a season of though the vision tarry, it will come to pass. It's a season of don't give up, don't grow, grow weary in doing good. It's listen for the footsteps of God behind you. And if you're in the, the other season of God's gone ahead of us, it just feel rejoice in that. But this is a time when Jesus right up front is saying there is a pioneering component to what you're doing. I haven't yet gone to these towns and villages. They haven't yet known my magnetic field. They haven't known what I'm, I'm bringing. They, I haven't bro- I'm sending you to break through. So dear friends, if you've arrived and you're saying, this is me, be encouraged. You're right here in Luke chapter 10. And then we, we read more. It says uh, specifically he sent them out two by two. How's your marriage? Because a marriage is not just um, meant to be wonderful. Uh, it's, it's, how, it's how, if you are married, it's how you're sent. It's part of the mission configuration, the sending. How are you doing on friendships? Oh, I'm not very good at making friends. No, you need to become good. Because our master sends us out two by two. He sends, that's, it's part of the deal. It's not just a nice to have friendship. It's... It's an essential thing. How's eldership? We don't yet have elders. We then really want elders. I know you can't rush that. But the glory of elders is two by two. The way churches uh, are sent is two by two. And advanced, we're more than two, actually. But the dynamic's the same. It's what, we're, what we're doing here, it's just not, it's not, not a, just a fraternal. There's great inherent power in two by two. We've got many churches that are waiting for their first elders. And just, just knowing that, that you're surrounded by men and women in this room, knowing that, that's great. That there's other brothers and sisters around the world who are facing the same testings and trials that we are. The Apostle Paul went to such lengths to say, I'm, I'm moving as part of a two. I'm not a solo deal. It's not, it's not an I, it's a, it's a we. He was always saying this epistle is from myself, Paul, and Timothy. There was a two-by-two component. Two-by-two is how we're sent. It's a lot more fun, and it's a lot safer as well. Look at this verse in Hebrews 3. One of our elders in training a few weeks ago um, brought it in an elder prayer meeting in Joburg, this truth. Um, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Like, take care. You don't want to fall away. I mean, this is huge. How do we take care? How are we going to overcome this deadly peril? And this guy, Tom Sankwa, was saying, guys, how are we going to avoid this? And then he read the next part of the verse, but exhort one another every day. The way through is two by two. Outside of two by two, there are perils awaiting us. 
falling away from the living God, even the deceitfulness of sin. Go alone, then go fast, uh, but go together, go far. It's a state of mutual dependence, of mutual honor and camaraderie. Then he says to them, he starts to speak directly to them now, and he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the equation here is that there isn't a problem with um, the harvest. The problem is with the number of leaders. No leaders, no harvest, because God wants the harvest to be well looked after. And then Jesus gives us two keys. Key number one is right there. It's pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out leaders, effective disciple-making disciples. Pray earnestly. Jesus doesn't, he usually says pray. Here he says pray earnestly. And friends, this is such good news. Um, just put your hand up if you, would, if you need some more younger leaders, if you've got a bit deficit there, okay? Older leaders, more motherly leaders. You need t- Titus 2, older women teaching younger women. You're thinking, where, where are they? Okay, more giving leaders. Yeah, okay. (laughs) More musicians, more evangelistic leaders. This is a great relief. Pray earnestly that the Lord of the harvest. Isn't that great? That's that's what he says to do. Don't, Don't stress, but pray earnestly. That's a horn on the altar of God. I pray it so much. I say, I say, Jesus, from your own mouth, you said there's no problem with the harvest, but we need, we need more harvesters, we need more laborers. And Jesus, you said, pray, therefore, I pray. Father, I pray in the name of the one who instructed us to pray like this. Please, would you give us more leaders? That, that's, that's where it starts. And then there's another key that we back up to the first verse to find. The Lord appointed 72 others. He actually did it. He took some steps. So I don't know how he got to 72. Maybe he said to the 12, each of you go and find five. Because that makes 72. I wonder how he got from 12 to... No, it's actually right. So so six 12s are 72. But if he's talking to the 12, then you only need another 60 more and five 12s are 60. Ah. (laughs) That so seldom happens that my maths goes right. Can you... Ash, can you tell Jack that? He'll be absolutely delighted. So, okay. So, what? 72 others. What did I say? Oh, 72 others. No, but, but, but in the original Hebrew... Seventy-two others. You're right. So maybe <laughs> don't tell Jack. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm gonna have to move on to the next point. This was this was meant to be very strong. Um, how did how did I don't we don't know how he he expanded the the twelve to the to the eighty-four. But anyway, here are some here are some good words. I got the first uh, two off, uh, Glenn. Uh, the other week, but here we go. Jesus invites, then he invests, then he includes, and he entrusted. Entrusted. Yeah, I know it's spelt wrong. <laughs> I wanted to keep the, the in. I don't, I don't know what, what grids, I, I've had several grids over the years. This is the latest one. You invite, you call, uh, then you invest, then you include, and you entrust. But just do, don't get stuck on your 12, okay? I don't know how you're going to expand from there, but don't get stuck. Pray and then inv- invite, invest, include, and then trust. Then verse 3, he says, I'm sending you out like lambs in the midst of wolves. This is the second thing he says. After saying we need lots more, he says it's going to be dangerous and tough. Gandalf said it does not do to leave a live dragon out of your calculations if you live near him. It's a dangerous business walking out of one's front door. We live in a wolf world. This is the age of the prince of the power of the air. In this world, you will have trouble. 
We live in wolf territory. What's, what are wolves? Well, it's, it's demonic work. Um, it's the human philosophies. I'm just amazed at the power of human philosophies. The glorious gospel doesn't seem to penetrate some of our friends. It's like, well, how can you not get this? And then life can be a wolf. Isn't it amazing? You, you can be cracking along nicely, and then you just get depressed. Or your kids, something happens there. Or your mother-in-law, or your brother-in-law, or a part pastoral issues. I was just over lunch hearing about two attempted suicides in the space of a couple of weeks after two Sunday meetings. Where, what's going on? Wolves. Wolves are what is going on. Wolves are stronger and cleverer than lambs. Wolves can rip lambs to pieces. Where, oh, where is any encouragement in this statement from Jesus? How could lambs ever triumph over wolves? The answer is by staying close to the shepherd who can kick any wolf pack anywhere, anytime. This, what, what Jesus is saying here isn't so much to inspire fear at all. It's to inspire God-reliance. Desperate shepherd reliance who is more than a match for any wolf pack. And I do also just want to um, trumpet the blessing of danger and tough times if it drives us to Jesus. Spurgeon said, I fear that the Christian church is far more likely to lose her integrity in these soft and silken days than in those rougher times. So we've had Ben and Lois to stay with us for a few days. Where are you guys, Ben and Lois? Just over there. Yeah, just wave. I just want guys to see you so they can say how's it to you outside of meetings. Um, they, it's, they're just in a brutally tough area. We'll hear a bit about their story, I think, tomorrow. They're up for one of the interviews. But uh, they are not being hugged to death by the bear of comfort. You know, that's often it's not a, a, a wolf, but, but it's that subtle embrace of the bear of comfort that just dulls us. And to have the concern of wolves and to know that we must have our shepherd and to know that we do not live in a demilitarized zone, these are wonderful truths to make us sharp. Ben and Lois are sharp. there's, There's a blessing that comes from lack of comfort and from hearing the howl of wolves around you. And then Jesus says, take no money bag or knapsack or sandals. Eat and drink what they may provide for the laborer deserves his wages. What do you make of that? Um, Twelve chapters later, I'm a bit nervous about my maths now, but I think it's twelve <laughs> chapters later. <laughs> Look what Jesus says. When I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack, Or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. He said to them, but now let the one who has a money bag take it and likewise a knapsack. So it's clearly a situational instruction, isn't it? Luke 10, it was uh, someone else will provide for you. Luke Luke 22, it's you provide for yourself. So it's a situational instruction. Any thoughts on why? It's not one of those rhetorical, any thoughts? Any any. Yeah. Okay, so maybe in which you're, you're saying he wanted their faith to grow. And Great. And which one do you think needs more faith? No, Luke 10 or Luke 22? Which, which one do you think needs more faith? What do you think? Which one needs more faith? Hands up if you think Luke 10 instruction needs more faith. Hands up if you think Luke 22 needs more faith. So it's kind of even split there. I totally agree. I think it was a, I think it was a faith deal. Any, any other thoughts? Maybe he just knew that the towns that they were going to go to in Luke 10, they were going to be kind to them. Maybe Jesus just knew. 
But, hey, oh, this is wonderful. I was just about to say, (laughs) certainly Jesus is giving a format. I don't think it's a formula, but he gives a specific way of doing money in Luke 10. And then when you hit Luke 22, he says, I want you to do it a different way. So there is some kind of format. There's no formula, but there's a format and both require faith. I think some of the commentators get a bit stuck because they think the first one requires faith, but the second one doesn't. Both requires faith. So let's just look at this issue of format or system or structure of giving versus faith. Old Testament, I think it was big on format and there was faith in play, but the emphasis is on the the giving laws and the 10%. And you still need faith. Because to give anything, you need faith, and particularly the, the first 10%, as it was in the Old Testament, that requires faith. So there was format, and there was faith. When you get to the New Testament, I think it's flipped. I think the emphasis is on faith, but there are still indicators of structure. So you think of Jesus, Luke 10, he's very specific. It must work like this. If you are taking ministry and being my representative going there, don't worry, they'll pay for the airfares. Take nothing with you. Your church doesn't need to pay. They will pay. Luke 22, no, no, you do it. You source your ministry from your bond. <laughs> source the trip from the bond. Uh, or can the, maybe that group of churches come? No, they can't pay. Okay, you pay. But there's some definite, definitely some specifics there. And then Jesus, you remember, he, he had an opportunity to overturn the tithe of spices and mint and so on. He didn't. Admittedly, that's an argument from silence, an argument from silence. But then he was huge on faith. Massive on faith. He said, so. Well, how much should we sow? Jesus said, no, no, no. I'm not telling you. So. But how much? Well, good measure. Well, how much is that? And Jesus says, well, it's an issue of faith. That's why I'm using the word so. It's an issue of faith. You need to be led by the Spirit. The formula, the format, the structure isn't the thing that must dominate. Faith must dominate. So, so hence Jesus saying so. Jesus also said, you can't serve both God and money. And the legalist says, well, we'll break that down. How much should I then give? And Jesus says, no, I want your faith to be in play. I want you to listen to the Spirit. Uh, Jesus said, store up for yourself riches in heaven. Well, how much? (laughs) Not telling you. Then you get the Apostle Paul. Was he into format? He certainly was. 1 Corinthians 16, often to the he spoke a lot to the Corinthians about money. He speaks about proportional giving. Paul also speaks about organized giving. He liked giving to be organized. Get ready, get organized. Uh, he spoke, he contended for his rights for the Corinthian church to support him. He said, I planted you, I know I'm not living with you anymore, but it's my right. He uses this phrase, my right, my right, my right. And then after, he, once he's argued just brilliantly, he says, I'm actually not going to use my right. But he's very clear, he's got some clear ideas on some formats of giving. No, it is appropriate that that church supports me. He contends, but his bias is towards faith. He says, excel in the grace of giving. Give beyond your ability. Well, what does that mean? What does it it mean, Jesus? What does it mean, Paul? Is it Luke 10 or is it Luke 22? Which is it? Because a few months ago you were saying it's Luke 10. Now you're saying it's Luke 22. Now, which is it? And Jesus just says, hey, hang on, I think you're getting too too excited about the format here. Paul spoke about the privilege of giving. My favorite one, he says, I'm not commanding you, but I'm testing the sincerity of your faith. When you come to the area of giving, format must take us to a point, but no further than to a point. It must never, ever substitute faith, listening to the Spirit, and even brotherhood. Well, no, I'm giving. We've, we've given. Ash and I have given. 
We don't have any more to give to that brother who's in need. No, the fact that he's in need causes faith to rise and a sensitivity to the spirit. We're not locked up because we're giving 12% a month or whatever it might be. That's helpful, but there's got to be faith that's, that's bigger. So let's quickly apply it to ourselves. Um, I don't know if you're like us, but we've, we find it helpful to have a figure, an amount, a percentage that we, we go for each month. Maybe you're like that. We couldn't imagine it being less than the, the, the figure in the era when grace wasn't as fully on display as it is now. So that's like our starting point. But then there's all sorts of questions that the format, the system doesn't cover. So what's tithe deductible? <laughs> you know, is that petrol bill tithe deductible? Um, if you're traveling for ministry, but it's sort of also personal, what, what is it? And the answer is, well, you need to work this out. In brotherhood, with faith, listening to the Holy Spirit. If we think of the church, maybe a local church, maybe your church gives away 10%, maybe gives away 20%. But then that doesn't cover all decisions. You need to prayerfully make decisions. Well, what comes out of that pot? What comes out of another pot? What about the needy amongst us? Is that giving or should that come from somewhere else? What if we're planting a site Sort of we're planting ourselves. Does it, can we give giving money to that? What, what, I'm, what I'm saying is there's a delightful area in giving here that is situational and but it requires faith and God doesn't want us to get too hung up on these percentages and these structures and these systems. I think they must serve us, but there's got to be a higher law in play. So let's apply this now to advance. We ask churches to give 2% to our global mission. And we want to be as wise and transparent with that as we possibly can, because there's a world to reach. Then we encourage churches, well, this is up to each hub or cluster of churches. It could be a churches in a nation or just an area. We encourage those churches to give something in the realm of 3% to the hub mission. And if you're giving away 10% as a church, then obviously you've got another 5% that you as local elders are giving away. And that's, we think that's great because it's something to the ends of the earth, which we're commanded to do, uh, something to uh, the Judea and Samaria, and then obviously the own Jerusalem. And all of them involve direct and indirect planting and strengthening. And you'll know that from a local church. You know, you have members who say, um, so how much, exactly how much are we giving to evangelism? And you kind of you want to say, well, look, the rent we're paying on the building and the salaries are indirectly going towards evangelism. But the legalist won't like that. No, give it to me exactly. And then you have to say, things, well, we gave this much to Alpha. But then you get awfully tied up in sort of structural things. So, so what we do, we know that we, what we give is direct and indirectly to planting and strengthening. The global money... We give, so that global pot, it goes to things that either a church or a hub can't do. And we've got three biggies on the go at the moment. So supporting a church in Dar es Salaam, uh, looking at a potential church plant in Kenya, money going towards that. And everything that we're, almost everything that we're doing in the UK and helping getting the UK off the ground those things are coming out of this global pot. So we're, launch, we're, we're planting churches that a normal hub or church can't plant, and we're planting a hub that a normal ch- church or hub can't plant. So we're doing with things with the global money that a single church or hub can't do alone. It's the awesome power of togetherness. We're also doing things with the global money that we just want to do together. So Sheshi and Trudy and the Tanzanian brothers and sisters haven't yet arrived. They're arriving at 3.30 now. We are able to say to them, we are supporting you. That's, a, that's very powerful. It's much more powerful than saying a church in Cape Town is supporting you. Now, you might feel, PJ, wow, you've leveraged this verse for all you can. Um, yeah, I have, but I think, it's very, I think it's very interesting that Luke specifically gives these two situational things. And my point here is that a good system for your personal giving 
or church giving or for our collective giving is all we're after. And you say, well, why are you going for this? I'm going for this because we are still, um, the area of finance in advance is one of the areas that is lagging behind. And I didn't want to put it in my first message. If you don't want to be talking about money on the first afternoon when everyone arrives. And I thought, you know what? Jesus spoke about it. When he was sending out the 72, he came right to the provision issue. And so to be faithful to the text, I want to come right to this provision issue at the same time that Jesus does. So we want to be known for a decent system of giving. 2%, 3%, and then local churches do what they, they feel is good. And it's about 3% different hubs run it differently. But I hope you are thinking, well, it's not a perfect system. And well, where does that bit of money come out of? And what about that? And how does it all? We'll never be able to answer all those questions. We can do so much with a structure or a system, but we need to be known a lot more for brothers and sisters who have great faith and a great alertness to the spirit in this area of giving. I don't know if I quite nailed that. May the Lord help whatever I didn't. Then he goes on and says, greet no one on the road. Uh, he's not encouraging rudeness, um, but oriental greetings uh, could take long. I think this one's about single-minded focus. The instruction was also in play when uh, Elisha was talking to Gehazi uh, to go and see if the, the Shunammite widow's son was dead or alive. So there's a single-minded focus. There's a prioritization um, D.L. Moody writes, the trouble with a great many men is that they spread themselves out over too much ground, lay themselves on the altar of God, and then concentrate, sorry, the trouble with a great many men is that they spread themselves out over too much ground. Lay yourselves on the altar of God, then concentrate on one work. One nail driven home is better than 10 drawing pins. Many activities aren't necessarily wrong, just not necessary. Donnie, that's what you're going to be in a few years' time, my brother. <laughs> Danny, yeah. Yeah. Um, brothers and sisters, we live in a really busy world, and it's so important that we hear from God what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Then he says... Whatever house you enter, say first, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. If not, it will return to you. So what's this peace? This peace is the peace of the gospel. He's essentially saying, give them the shalom peace of the gospel on arrival. And if they get it, work from there as a base. They may say, we've heard it already. That's cool. You can work from there as a base. What's this one about? I think it's Firstly, about great assurance that God is at work in some. You could use predestination. You could use election here. I'm comfortable with the phrase assurance that God is at work in some people. He says the gospel will not be received by some. It will be received by others. Preordained sons of peace. We just need to find them. It's also about the glory of sonship. Um, I'm interested that Jesus uses a phrase that isn't used, that I know of elsewhere. He says, if a son of peace is, is there, your peace will rest upon him. I'm, I'm speculating here, but I wonder if when Jesus um, said, peace to this house, he just remembered what had happened six chapters earlier in the book of Luke at his baptism when the father sent the dove of peace on him. And affirmed his sonship. Maybe that was how son and peace came together in him. But either way, I think Jesus is instructing us to bring the issue of sonship right into our salvation and our discipleship processes. It's a really difficult thing to get. It's so important that we regard, we know our identity as sons of peace. Maybe Jesus was just grateful that he didn't get a birth certificate from heaven. He got the dove of peace. Um, our two older sons came back from a youth camp that our church was running. churches were running a, a few weeks ago. My middle son, Ben, you know, there's big Jack and he's going on with, great with God. And there's, there's Ben, who's 14. Ben's very clever. He's very clear. He knows the gospel. He can articulate the gospel very well. 
He gets it here. And I said, Ben, what was the highlight on camp? And he said, Dad, the Holy Spirit night on Saturday night. And I said, what? Did, did, you, did God do anything particularly for you? And he's got these awesome big eyes. And uh, his, they welled up with tears. And he said, yeah, sonship, Dad. Um, he said, I know I'm a son. And he, he, just like he said, I know I'm a son. And I didn't ask him any more questions because he have started to cry. And he might have been embarrassed in the context we were in. I said, oh, great. And it's like... It's like he had the birth certificate, I'm a son of God, but then the spirit came and he knows he's a son. My littlest son's like that, Sam. He, he can just get a bit forlorn and, and so on. And we walk along together and he, he, I know I'm your son, you know, I know I'm your dad, but then I, I give him a wrestle or a cuddle and two minutes later the whole thing's changed and he just, he, for the next few hours, he says things like, love you dad, should we play more cricket dad? I said, oh, well played, Sam. He says, thanks, Dad. Love you, Dad. And the whole thing's just, honestly, it's the sweetest thing. And, and it's what's happened is he's gone from being a son to really knowing that he's a son. He's a son. These are sons of peace. Sons of peace. Daughters of peace. It's a glorious thing. A couple more. And remain in the same house. Do not go from house to house. What's that one about? I think it's about contentment. Don't always look for the best ministry deal, the best circumstance, or the best church. I think more than that, it's about being strategic. And uh, I'm nearly done, but I think this, this might be amongst the most important things for us to hear. The way Jesus sends us is with limits. He doesn't send you to everyone everywhere. It's important to know what house we are sent to and to focus on that. Now, Jesus himself modeled this. Who was Jesus's house of peace? Israel, yeah. More specifically, the, the 12. He focused on these, these 12. So Israel and definitely more specifically uh, the, the 12. How could he fulfill his ministry within three years? You know, we often say, oh, it's just amazing. Jesus only did three years of ministry. And look, why, why, why was he able to fulfill his ministry in three years? Because he was going to the house of peace. He wasn't going house to house. Job done in three years. In three years, you can do 12 men really thoroughly. Think about the apostle Paul. Think of him in Thessalonica. I remember when I first met Steve, this was probably 15 years ago. Do you remember that message you preached somewhere in England about Paul only doing three weeks in Thessalonica? And they thought it was an absolute uh, failure. But he writes and says, it wasn't a failure, my time with you. And you think of 1 Thessalonians 1, the result of Paul's ministry was that the message rang out. They're becoming example, the message rang out, becoming example to the surrounding areas. He was only there for three weeks. Imagine going to Bloemfontein for three weeks. And then you're able to write a year, two years later, the message rang out from you. How, was it, how does that happen? How do you get three weeks equaling, equaling a successful church? Chapter 2, remember those verses? I lived amongst you like this. You saw, he was only there for three weeks. It, 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 the, the feel of the early verses of chapter two is that he was in a house. He was investing in a, a house there, a small community. Night and day for three weeks with one family, you can do an awful lot of DNA. And then who goes house to house? They do. Who went house to house for Jesus? The 12. Think of Ephesus, his time in the hall of Tyrannus, that house of peace. All of Asia Minor heard the gospel. His statement in Romans 15, he says, I fulfilled the ministry of the gospel from here all the way around to there on the Mediterranean. How could he say that? He'd invested in specific people. He was sent with limits. He didn't try to do everything. He lived out 2 Timothy 2.2. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to others who will go to others, who will go house to house. It's so important we know what we're not called to and what we are called to do, otherwise a growing church or hub or movement will rip us to shreds. When Jesus says, go to a house of peace, but he says, don't go there. That's a command from Jesus. Do not touch that. Don't do that. 
I want you to do this. If you do this, then that will be done, but it will be done through others. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you in a manageable way, a way that your burden is easy and your yoke is light. How often do we get into bed saying something's wrong here? Either Jesus was lying about the weight of his burden or something else is out of place. This is, what we're living is not yoke is easy and burden is light. So how do we do this? How do we spot people and houses of peace? How do, how do as lead elder and your wife, how do you know who to invest in? How do your elders, let's talk church first. As a church grows, what is the house of peace that the eldership team should focus on? As a church grows, what is the house of peace that the lead elder or the eldership team should focus on? Leadership team. They will go house to house. What about as a a hub, a group of churches develops, uh, who should the leadership team of that hub focus on? Elders. Mostly elders. Into that house of peace. If, If a hub team starts to meddle too much in church life, uh, all sorts of difficult things will emerge, even as a movement, as we grow. Okay, can those of us who are giving a guiding leadership, can we, should we get to every church? What do you think? No way. And we really need to be very clear on this. We'll talk about movement in just a second. How do we know who are the men and women of peace or the houses of peace, whether you're looking at church or hub or or movement level. Um, Jesus uses these two words, rest and return. He says, those whom your peace rests on, stay there, work there. But if, if your peace returns to you, don't work there. So he's saying, if if your peace stays, is received, work with them. But if it bounces... Don't work with them. That's a great principle. <laughs> Don't spend time on those who aren't absorbing your influence. And think about this. Think about you and your leadership team. Don't put time there. They're not going to get it. Okay, it's bouncing. You know you said those things to them, and you said them another time, and then you said them even thrice. And do they get it? No. <laughs> there's been no change. We were talking about it yesterday uh, with a group of friends. And this one guy was saying, I've told him things so many times. And he just it's like he doesn't hear. That, so that would be an example of where it, your gift or your peace is not being received. That's not where you're called to work. If... Uh, <laughs> well, just look at this at the movement level. If, because especially early on in, in who we are, we really need to be getting clear on these things quickly. If apostolic teams don't know their limits, thank you, uh, clicker. Overextended alloc, oh, right. Okay, yeah. So this slide is answering if apostolic teams don't know their limits, If as a movement we don't know our limits, if we disobey Jesus, I think, no, it doesn't apply to us. We can go house to house. This is what we'll get. Overextended translocal teams. Next, please. We'll get underdeveloped elderships. It's it's not good when we get too busy from house to house because it's the job of the house of peace to go house to house. Uh, We'll also get underdeveloped churches. We'll get underdeveloped Ephesians 4 teams in regions and nations. And we'll get underdeveloped world mission. We need to remain and focus on the house that we are sent to. It's an expression of humility and obedience, often to say no. And to say, I'm needed in so many places around my church but I've been sent to a house of peace and I've got to put my energies there. I'm not going to be in neglect. I'm not going to be rude and so on, but to build wisely and sustainably in a way that honors the gifts of the body 
and the work of others in the street, it's so important that we do not go busily from house to house. What's our response? Well, I just want to do a bit of response just for this last point. Who's your house of peace? Who are the men and the women? Who's the team? Who's the group that you have been called to? It's a very different question from the second one. Who's your house of peace? And then secondly, bearing in mind that this is the way we're sent to invest in some who will invest in others, who will invest in others, how are you doing on being invested in? I don't know if you're, I don't know if you go through phases when, if you just look back and audit yourself a bit, you think, I actually haven't been absorbing as much as, as I could have. I've been very busy trying to fix or to do or to mobilize or energize, but I haven't been as good at absorbing and receiving. Maybe it's peace from God. Maybe it's peace from others. I'm not reading enough. I'm not listening enough. I'm not asking enough questions. I'm just going house to house, busily. Am I, Lord, am I, am I receiving here? Am I a good house of peace from you, uh, from others? That's the way it seems that our Lord has set us up and how he sends us. Gone over time. Let's just take a moment to pray. Holy Spirit, would you just would you just come now, please, Holy Spirit? Holy Spirit, the dove of peace, affirming sons and daughters of peace. Isn't that great? Let's drink in the peace of God. Houses of peace. House to house. Holy Spirit, would you please align us with these really startlingly specific teachings of Jesus? Do you come? Just help us, Spirit of God, right now. Dear friends, I know this hasn't been the kind of most bubbly first, <laughs> first session after lunch. But these are wonderful, poignant truths from Jesus. I want you to handle your giving like this at the moment. Okay. Might change in the future. Okay. Lambs and wolves. Two by two. Jesus, we want to line up with you. We really do. These precious scriptures of you sending us out. I do pray that these seeds sown would take great root in each of us. We ask this in your name. Our great sending missionary champion of heaven, Jesus Christ. Amen.